Today is week two in our series on death, and the purpose of this series is to answer the questions that most people have concerning death, such as, what happens to a person when they die? And what about those who've never heard of Jesus Christ? I mean, after all, Jesus is the only way to heaven. So if Jesus is the only way to heaven, what about those who've never heard of him? Will they go to heaven or hell or neither? And what about kids? If a child dies, do they get a free pass to heaven? And what about those that are mentally challenged? Do they get to go to heaven automatically? And what about those that we leave behind? Does our earthly responsibilities and obligations end the moment we die? Or do we have a responsibility to make sure that our family, those we've left behind, are taken care of? Those are questions that need to be answered, and that's the purpose of the series, to answer those questions and a few more. Now, last week I explained what happens to a person when they die. And I outlined the sequence of events that occur starting at the moment that person stops breathing. And if you were here last week, you should be able to explain what happens to a person when they die. And you also should be able to outline the sequence of events that occurs starting at the moment that that person stops breathing. And if not, you need to go back and listen to that sermon again. And you need to listen to that sermon over and over again until you can explain what happens and the sequence of events. Listen to me. There is no excuse for a Christian not being able to explain what happens when a person dies or not being able to explain the sequence of events that occur when a person stops breathing and they die. No excuse. None. Unless you've not been taught. But you've been taught. And trust me, those questions come up when your neighbors lose a loved one. Or maybe someone in your family dies and your children come to you and they say, Mom, Dad, where's Grandma? Where's Grandma? Can Grandma and Grandma see me? You know, you ought to be able to answer those questions. Now, this week, I want to answer that question. I want to answer the question, can people who died see what's happening on this earth? In other words, can they see us? Do they know what's happening down here? Now, to be honest with you, I can't tell you how many times I've been asked that question by someone who's lost a loved one, and it's a legitimate question. So I'm going to show you what the Bible has to say about that, and then, if I have time, I want to talk about what it's like for those who died and are waiting for their, their bodies to be resurrected. Remember, when a person dies, their soul either goes to heaven or it goes to hell, one or the other. But we're talking about the soul, not the body. The body is buried and the body begins to decompose. So you have souls in heaven and you have souls in hell that don't have bodies. Or at least they don't have physical bodies. Now, sometime in the future, their body is going to be resurrected and rejoined to their soul. But that doesn't happen until the rapture for those souls in heaven and for those in hell. It doesn't happen until after the millennium. So what's it like to be a soul without a body? What's it like to be in heaven with the Lord waiting for the rapture so that your body will be resurrected? What's it like if you didn't go to heaven and you're in hell, but you don't have a body? Can you feel the pain? Well, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about that. But first things first. Let's start with the question. Can people who died see what's happening on this earth? In other words, are our loved ones watching us from heaven? People, I get that question all the time. In fact, 
I'm asked that question more than any other question when someone dies. And to be honest with you, I used to wonder about this. You see, my grandfather on my mother's side died before I was born. And so I've always wondered, does my grandfather know that my mom and dad had more children than just Riddell? Does my grandfather know that I've become a pastor and that I'm working for the kingdom of God? Does my grandfather know that I had two beautiful girls? Did he watch my oldest girl get married? Did he see my two girls graduate from college? So that's a legitimate question and one that I asked years ago. So let's answer that question. Can people who've died see what's happening here on this earth? Now, before I give you a definite yes or no, let me qualify my answer. You can search through the entire Bible, and you won't find one verse that explicitly states that people who've died can see what's happening here on this earth. But, you will find numerous verses that imply it. So the Bible doesn't explicitly state that they can, but it does state it implicitly. Everyone knows the difference between explicit and implicit, right? Explicit means it's clearly stated in black and white. Implicit means it's implied or understood, though it's not directly stated. So even though the Bible doesn't just come out and say, yes, our loved ones in heaven can see what's happening here down on this earth, it does imply that they can. So the answer is yes. Let me say that again. The answer is yes. Your loved ones in heaven can see what's happening here on this earth. They know what's happening, and I'm going to prove it to you this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse number 1. This 12th chapter of Hebrews follows the 11th chapter, which is the great hall of faith. Everyone knows that Hebrews chapter 11 is all about faith. He defines what faith is, and then he goes in and he gives all of these Old Testament examples of men and women who lived by faith. And then we come to chapter 12, because those people are dead and have gone on. So now we get to chapter 12. Notice what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now in this verse, Paul is comparing a Christian to an athlete in our life to a race. And this race that he's comparing our life to isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. And the course of the race is different for each person because God is the one who marks it out just for us. Notice the last part of verse number 1 in chapter 12. It says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, we all have a different race to run. The race that God has set out for me to run is different than the race that God has set out for you to run. And your race is different from everyone else's. We all have a race to run, and that's what our life is being compared to. But here's what's interesting in this verse. In the ancient world, athletic events were very common. And almost the entire community turned out to watch them, especially races. And almost every large community had an amphitheater. If your city was large enough 
the taxes paid for an amphitheater with seating for spectators. And that's the picture that Paul is painting in this verse. So Paul says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses as we're running this race called life. Now, the word witnesses is translated from the Greek word martus. And martus can refer to one of two things. Number one, it can refer to a person who's testifying in a court of law to what he's seen. We know what a witness is. It's that person that goes to a court of law, they raise their right hand, they swear in a Bible to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help their God. And then they sit down and they tell everyone what they saw. They are a witness. Or, secondly, it can refer to a person who's watching an event. Before Peyton Manning actually went into the NFL, he played for the Tennessee Volunteers. And I had season tickets to the Razorbacks years ago. And I loved to go watch the Razorbacks play. And it didn't matter who they were playing because they play in the SEC. The greatest conference in the nation. But anyways, I got a chance to watch Peyton Manning play. And we were up by 21 points at the end of the third quarter. And so they were going into the fourth quarter with the volunteers behind by 21 points. And Peyton Manning brought Tennessee back, scored 28 points in the fourth quarter, and beat us by seven. Man, I was irritated. But I want you to understand something. I witnessed that. I saw that happen. I was in that stadium. And that's the context of Hebrews 12.1. It fits the second definition, not the first. So the word martus refers to people watching an event. In other words, spectators. So what this verse is saying is that we have a great cloud of, a crowd of spectators watching us run this race that we call life. And because Paul uses the word cloud, it gives the impression that these witnesses are up there in heaven. So this verse implies that heaven is watching us run this race called life. And yes, those in heaven can see us. They're watching us. Now, to be honest with you, this one verse alone convinces me that those in heaven can watch us because that's what it's saying. We have a great cloud of witnesses watching us from heaven run this race that we call life. And if up in heaven they're doing it, I, I want you to understand, just like we have our favorite athletes, we have our favorite teams, we have those we like to watch and those we really don't care about watching, I can guarantee you, you have family members that have passed on. You have loved ones that take a great interest in their family. Those are the races they want to watch. But let's go a little bit further because there's a lot more verses that talk about this. In fact, I'm only going to give you a few this morning. But let's go on. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke, the ninth chapter. Let's read verses 28 through 32. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared, and they began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. And they were speaking about the exodus of Jesus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. So this is occurring shortly before Jesus is going to Jerusalem for the last time. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. 
Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you know that this story is about the transfiguration because the face of Jesus was transformed and even the appearance of his clothes changed and they became dazzling white. And that's what the word transfigured means. Transfigured means a marked change in form or appearance. In Jesus' face, it changed. It also means a change that glorifies or exalts. And Jesus' clothes became dazzling white. It was exalted, something that was beyond this world. So that's why we call this story the story of the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up onto this mountain to pray. And all of a sudden, there's Moses and Elijah. And they look glorious. And Jesus changes to look like them. But here's what I want you to notice. Moses and Elijah instantly appeared with Jesus and they were talking with him about his exodus. In fact, that's what it actually says in the original Greek. They were talking to Jesus about his exodus. In other words, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. In other words, his exodus from this earth. Now, did you catch that? Moses and Elijah knew what was happening on this earth. They knew what Jesus had been doing, and they knew what was about to happen. That's why they were talking to Jesus. They knew what was getting ready to happen, which was his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven. Now, Acts chapter 10, verse number 34 says that God is no respecter of persons. So if Moses and Elijah, who were in heaven at that time, knew what was happening on the earth... And they knew what Jesus was doing and what he was about to do. Don't you think that those who are in heaven now know the very same thing? The same things? Of course they do. Just think about it. If God let Moses and Elijah see what was happening on the earth, and God is no respecter of persons, then why wouldn't he let others see what was happening or is happening on this earth? Of course he allows that to happen. Because God is no respecter of persons. Now turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Let's read verse number 7. Because all of these verses might not explicitly say that those in heaven know what's going on and they can see what's happening, but they all imply it. They all state it implicitly. Notice what Luke, chapter 15, verse number 7 says. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, the first thing I want to do is clear, clear up a misconception. It doesn't say that there's not joy for those who've never strayed, for those who are righteous and they're living for the Lord. It doesn't say there's no joy over that. There is. All it's saying is there's more excitement. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and returns to God. In other words, that really gets them going in heaven. Now, let me ask you a question. How does heaven know when a sinner repents? How does heaven know when someone gets saved? Now, of course, God knows instantly when someone gets saved because he's the one that saves people. It's his Holy Spirit that draws people unto him and it's also his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that regenerates that person, that makes them born again. So we know that God knows instantaneously when someone gets saved, but how does the rest of heaven know? Is there a scoreboard? Is there an intercom system in heaven 
So every time someone gets saved, God announces it over the intercom. He says, there's uh, 32 more in India. They just got saved. And everyone's, woo! And we just got four more in Cherokee County. Woo! Do you think that's what happens? People, I don't think so. I think, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1, that the saints are watching us run this race that we call life. They are spectators to this. They're enjoying all that heaven has to offer, but they're also very interested in what's going on on this earth and what's happening to their family. And they're watching us run this race that we call life. And when they see those that they love become saved, they go nuts. Yes, there's lots of joy for those of us who have already gotten saved and we're living for the Lord. They take great joy in that. But boy, just like you are wishing and wanting some of your family members to get saved, they're wishing and wanting that too. And so as they're watching this race that we call life, when someone that they love gets saved, people, they go nuts. And I believe that all of heaven rejoices with them because heaven is what the church ought to be. And if you remember in the book of Corinthians, it says when one member suffers, we all suffer with it. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice with it. So when you see, or when those family members see someone get saved and they get excited, all of heaven gets excited with them. Another one in the kingdom of God. Now let me show you one more scripture. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 12. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. Now, who is he talking about? It says, they were told. Talking about the Old Testament prophets. The prophets were told that the messages, their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Do you see that? The angels are eagerly watching the things that were prophesied in the past come to pass. But I want you to see that what they're watching is happening at that very moment. What, are, what they are looking at, what they are seeing is in real time. Now, if the angels are watching these things happen, don't you think the saints in heaven are doing the very same thing? People, you bet they are. They're doing exactly what the angels are doing. So the Bible might not explicitly state that those in heaven can see what's happening on this earth, that they're watching us run this race that we call life, but it does imply it, and it implies it quite convincingly. Now, there are some scholars that don't believe that those in heaven can see what's happening here on this earth. And the reason they don't believe it is because they think that all of the sin all of the rebelliousness, all of the violence on this earth would sadden them if they could see it. They believe that if our relatives in heaven could see all of our personal failures, every time we screw up, every time we do something wrong, it would sadden them. So they believe that God keeps them purposely ignorant. He keeps them oblivious to what's happening on the earth to protect them from sadness. Now, this presupposition is built on the belief that there is no such thing as sadness in heaven. So let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that there's no sadness in heaven? 
There's no tears, there's no sorrow, there's no emotional pain. Instead, everyone is happy all the time in heaven. How many of you believe that? Let me see. It's all right. How many of you don't believe that? How many of you will not commit yourself to that so you're sitting on your hands? I believe that the majority of you have always believed that there's no such thing as sadness in heaven. You believe that there's no sorrow, there's no crying, there's no emotional pain. Everyone is happy every minute of, of the day, of, or I should say of all eternity. So as a result of that, it's very difficult for you to believe that your loved ones in heaven can see you. It's very difficult for you to believe that they know what's happening here on this earth. Because if they knew how bad you were, how many times you screw up, the things you're doing or not doing, they would be sad when they saw it. So in order to keep them happy, God's going to have to keep them ignorant and is going to have to keep them oblivious to what's happening in your life, right? Now you probably... I've never really thought about that consciously. A few people have. I think about things like that. But it's something subconscious you believe. So when someone's asked you, do you believe that your loved one, your grandmother that just passed away, do you believe that they can see you and, and all of her loved ones here on this earth? No, I don't think that. Because if you saw what was happening to Uncle Timmy, boy, that'd be sad. Or if she knew what her grandson or great-grandson was doing, on drugs so bad horrible mess and they couldn't be happy in heaven and you know everyone's happy in heaven now let me ask you again how many of you think that there is no sadness in heaven how many of you think that there's no tears sorrow or emotional pain in heaven go ahead and admit it if you did go ahead and raise your hand if you, if you maybe up until now you believe that okay you're still not going to commit that's okay let me ask you, where did you get that idea? You see, we as Christians have a lot of ideas about God, who God is, the way God acts. We have a lot of ideas about Jesus, what he really does, what he doesn't do, who he was, who he really wasn't. We have all of these different ideas about who's going to get to heaven, who's not going to get to heaven. But here's what's interesting. The majority of us don't have any scripture to base what we believe on. See, I used to believe when I became a Christian and then responded to the call to become a preacher. And when I started preaching, I used to believe that Christians who'd been Christians for 30 and 40 years, they knew exactly what they believed and they had scripture to support it. And then after I'd preached for about 25 years, I realized that was a bunch of bunk. Most Christians don't know what they believe and they don't know why they believe it. They just believe it. They pick up their own theology in this race that we call life. But where did we get the idea? Because I think the majority of Christians have this idea. There's no sadness in heaven. Everyone's happy all the time. There's no sorrow. There's no emotional pain. There's no tears in heaven. Well, where did we get that idea? Well, we got that idea from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse number 4. Go ahead and turn there if you don't mind. I want to read this verse. He, who is he? God. God will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things 
are gone forever. Now we take this scripture and we apply it to now. We take this scripture and we say when someone dies and they go to heaven, I want you to realize that God wipes away every tear. There's no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Everyone is happy in heaven. Be nice to believe, wouldn't it? But when does this happen? Because we believe it happens, or I should say the majority of Christians believe it happens the moment a person dies. That God comes in, he wipes away their tears, there's no more sorrow, there's no more crying, there's no more pain. But let's go back and read this verse in context to determine when God is going to do this. When God is going to wipe away every tear. When there will no longer be death. When there's no longer going to be any sorrow or crying or pain. When does this happen? Hmm. Well, let's go back and read it in context. We'll turn to Revelation chapter 21. This time we're going to read verses 1 through 4. So we can see the context of verse 4. Notice what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Not this old heaven and old earth. A new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven, the heaven we know, the skies, and this old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. This holy city is actually heaven. It's called Jerusalem. It's going to actually come down from the new heaven to rest upon the new earth. So literally, heaven's going to come down to earth. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look! God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. You will be able to come into the presence of God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Now people, when does this happen? This happens after the old Heaven and earth pass away. And God is living among us on this new earth. When that happens, God will wipe away every tear and there won't be any death. There won't be any sorrow. There won't be any crying. There won't be any pain. But listen to me. In order to be able to wipe away tears, there must first be tears. Which means prior to this time, there are tears. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that heaven is the most beautiful place that we could ever imagine. And I believe that it's a place of great joy and a place of great comfort. I believe that it's like home. And, and I'll be honest, if we knew how great it was, we probably wouldn't want to live on this earth at all. Just take me home now, God. I believe that heaven is like that. But I don't believe that heaven is a place of ignorance where everyone is oblivious to what's happening on the earth. In fact, let me show you one more verse that supports what I'm saying. One more verse that shows that the people who are in heaven, the souls that are in heaven, aren't oblivious to what's going on, that they don't really care about what's happening on earth, and they don't know about what's going on on earth. Turn to Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Now, those of you who came on Wednesday nights when I was teaching through the book of Revelation, this is going to be familiar to you. Those of you who didn't come, I'm going to try and give you a little brief synopsis about where we are in the book of Revelation. But here it goes. 
This is chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal. Now this is happening during the tribulation. If you remember, the Apostle John is having this revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the book of Revelations, plural. It's the book of Revelation, singular. It's a revelation, an unveiling of what's going to happen at the end time. So, of course, in chapter 4, John is ushered into heaven, and from heaven he's seeing all of these things. And he sees our Lord Jesus Christ come because he's the only one worthy to take this scroll. And this scroll is the title deed to earth. And on this scroll are seven seals. Now, when he undoes or unloosens all seven seals, the seventh seal starts the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet will start the seven bowls. And these are horrible things that come upon the earth. We need to understand that. But let's go back to the seals. Jesus Christ takes the title deed to earth and he loosens the first seal. And the first seal is this rider on a horse that comes out and he's riding a white horse. White, of course, symbolizes peace. So what it tells us is that this person who's going to be able to bring peace to the world is going to come. And of course, if you were here in Revelations, that's the Antichrist. He comes as a messenger of peace in the beginning. And then when he opens the second seal, there's a rider on a red horse. The rider on the red horse symbolizes war. And there's a great war that's all over the earth. And then he undoes the third seal. And the third seal, a rider comes out on a black horse, and this is famine. This famine is the result of this war that's taken place. There's not enough food. People are scrambling. They'll sell anything they can to get food. They'll even sell themselves. And then the fourth seal is opened, and out comes the rider on the pale horse. How many of you watch Clint Eastwood and Pell Rider? She's reading this as this man on the pale horse, this Appaloosa, comes riding in. But this pale horse symbolizes death. Because of these first four seals, these people have died. And many have died because of their faith. They stood up for what they believed. And if you've heard me teach in the book of Revelation, I do not believe that this one world government that's coming, that this, all of this is this new age movement. That's a bunch of bunk that started in the 80s. Because no one could imagine what the Islamic faith would do. But you're going to see this Antichrist come, who's the Al-Mahdi. He's the 12th Imam. He's going to come on the world. He's going to create this peace treaty with Israel. But then what he ushers in is unbelievable. And that's where we are right now, reading in this passage of Scripture. So let's pick it up. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord. In other words, they're directing the shouting to the Lord. And they said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world? How long before you avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Now, those who are under the altar are people. Now, they don't have bodies, they're souls. But these are souls in heaven who have been martyred for their faith. This happened during the first part of the tribulation. But here's what's interesting. They're shouting at the Lord to step in and stop the wickedness, to stop the violence, to stop all the horrible things that are taking place. And the reason they, they're doing that is because they know what's happening on the earth. And as you read through the book of Revelation, 
you get the sense, because it implies all the way through the book of Revelation, that those in heaven are watching this take place. They're seeing it. So you have this group who are brokenhearted. They're crying. They're seeing many of their family members who are believers too that have not been martyred and on this earth. And they're wanting God to step in because they can see what's taking place. But my point is this. Those souls in heaven at this point in the tribulation, they know what is happening on the earth. And they're very upset by it. They're brokenhearted by it. They're sad. And they're saying, God, how much longer before you step in? So as I said, the Bible does not explicitly state, it doesn't say it in black and white, yes, your loved ones can see your life from heaven. They can see everything that's going on. It doesn't explicitly say that. But it does imply it. And I'll be honest with you, the proof is too strong to deny. I don't have time to go to the second question, so let me just keep on this vein of thought for a second. Let me tell you, the hardest thing in the world for me to do is to do a funeral for an unbeliever. And let me just ask a favor of you. If you have a family member that never went to church and doesn't believe, please don't call me to do the funeral. You don't have to have a funeral, or you don't have to have a pastor do the funeral. But let me tell you why I say that. I feel like I have this tremendous responsibility to present the gospel of Jesus Christ. But whenever an unbeliever dies, I know where that unbeliever is. And when I come out and I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the family members of that unbeliever, they're smart enough to figure out what I'm saying. They're smart enough to know that without Jesus, you're not making it to heaven. Unless Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, you're not going to be with the Lord when you die. And they're smart enough to know Grandma didn't do that. She might have been a good person. She might have had a great standard of conduct. She might have had great morals. But Jesus Christ was never her Lord. And let me tell you, your, by your standards, maybe she's worthy of heaven. But God is just. And the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. And only those who put their trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. Because our trust is not in our own righteousness. Our trust is in the righteousness of Jesus. That he's paid for our sins and that God has raised him from the dead because he was and is truly righteous. But here's what happens. You ask me to do this funeral service and I come in and I try and get family stores. Never went to church. Never accepted Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. So I've got a choice here. Do I speak the truth and drive people further away from Jesus because they're not mad? That pastor said their grandma's not in heaven. Or... Do I not preach the gospel? And that's what I normally do. I have to be honest with you. I'll do some generic little things about God and he's prepared a place for us. But I stay off what gets us there. Because I don't want to offend the family members. And then they'll never receive Jesus Christ because they can't stand pastors. And they don't want to hear that gospel that says grandma's not in heaven. But let me tell you what we're going to find out next week. Grandma who's not in heaven, 
Now, those in, those in hell cannot see what's happening on the earth. The Bible never implies that. But let me tell you, they do know they've left family behind and they do remember all of their experiences on this earth. And now she's praying that someone would tell her family members so they wouldn't have to go to the same place she did. But let me tell you, it's very difficult as a pastor to preach the funeral of an unbeliever. Now, on the other hand, it's very easy for me to preach a funeral for someone who's a believer. Many of you went to Steve Connor's funeral service. It was one of the easiest funerals that I've ever had to officiate. And I just came out and told the truth, and I said, this is what Steve would want you to know. And man, I could lay out the gospel for everyone and tell them what they needed to be saved. Didn't offend anyone because that's what Jesus believed in. And even the unbelievers are going, well, yeah, that's what Jesus, that's what Steve talked about all the time, Jesus. Now let me bring up something else. I find that a lot of you who've been raised in homes where your parents weren't Christians, it's really difficult to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason it is is because if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saying that no one is good enough to go to heaven on their own. They need Jesus. But you also have to understand and recognize that maybe your parents or your grandparents are not believers. And sometimes that's difficult to do. Well, Grandma's a good person. They're going to go to heaven. No one's good enough to go to heaven. No one's good enough to make it there. If you make it to heaven, it's because you put your trust in the only one who was righteous, which is Jesus Christ. And I know that for some people, they react positively to the challenge. No one in my family is saved. I know that Jesus is the only way, so they accept Jesus Christ, and they take it as a challenge to win their family to Jesus. But then you have the other type of personality. And they go, you know, if I become a Christian, I have to admit that everyone in my family is lost and going to hell. And I don't want to admit that. So you damn yourself to hell. Let me tell you, the only wise position is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because you know he's the only way to heaven. And then say, I don't want any of my family members to go to hell. I'm going to do all I can invite them to church, to share the gospel with them, to live a life that will make them ask, why are you so different? And then I can tell them about Jesus. Now let me tell you, if you don't do that, one day you're going to die if Christ doesn't return first. And then you're going to be up in heaven, you're going to be looking down, and you're going to be going, why did I not tell them about Jesus? Jesus.